Um, I am Karis Fricci. My husband, Chad, and my daughter, Eden, are here, and we have four other kids besides Eden. We've been able to be part of Antioch since the beginning, uh, if I haven't met y'all. Chad and I, our lives were changed in college at Antioch in Waco, Texas, and so when the Zanacos said they were planting here, we were very excited, and rightly so. It has been um, the most instrumental, probably, part of our last six years, right? Um, providing us community for the ups and downs of life, and so if you're just visiting, you should know this is a great place. Uh, we've gone through tragedy here, and we've gone through highs, and um, so I'm just so thankful to be here. And um, I would like to, since Andrew and Heather aren't here, just honor the elders who are here. So Lindsay, as you represent Mark, and Steve and Linda, if you all stand up, <clears throat> and Sharon, Sharon here, nope. yay, Sharon represents Ron, um, but our elder team, um, they're not on stage very often, but they are the people that I consider my covering in a lot of things, um, especially when it comes to church, and so the things that you feel safest about here at Antioch are because of these people, right. and how they pray, and how they serve, and how they cover, and don't sit down, Steve, and how they sustain so many of us. There's so many hard things, so will you bless them by just a round of applause? Thank you. Yes, amazing people, and they have been with me through very hard times. And the past 18 months has been a dark night of the soul, and I'm not even being dramatic, um, for me personally. And so when you, um, how many people are in ADS and you've been reading Journey of the Soul? It's a book on... The Christian journey, and it gives you stages of life. And in the stage that I'm in, you're not supposed to tell people that you're in this stage. Actually, they got past the stage, so I can say it now. But when you're at the wall, you're not supposed to say, I'm at the wall um, publicly. You're also not really supposed to share publicly. So it was just great to have so much help with people preaching with me recently um, because I needed people. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes you can't figure out your way through the dark alone. I mean, really all the time, you can. And I don't think I know, I knew how much I needed certain people in my life. So I'm just thankful for this body. And I'm thankful to be able to share with you today. And I'm going to share from what I've experienced and what I've learned. And um, uh, you will not, maybe some of you will not love how I'm explaining this. And that's okay. You can walk with God the way you walk with God, and I can walk with God the way I do, and we both can stand before him on the last day and say, I walked with you, right? Amen. So that's the point of today, is not to get caught up on different things. Um, but about last August, do y'all remember when I had a panel up here, yes. if y'all were here, with some amazing people, and we spoke about this um, chapter, Psalm 32, and we're going to look at it today, and this is my soteriology. Does anyone know what that word means? I do. It's, um, it is the theology of salvation. Okay, so this is my theology of salvation, is that we experience salvation whenever we do give our lives to Jesus as Lord, but then we learn for the rest of our lives how to give our lives to him as Lord. Yeah. Okay, so that's my theory, and I have a picture to show you what I think salvation looks like for all of us. How many of you remember this picture that John's putting up? Yes, yes. Y'all remember this? Yes. Okay, so what is happening to that horse? It's getting captured. It's getting, it is getting captured. It's getting broken in, okay, so that it will obey someone. 
And Psalm 32, a lot of people think that David wrote after, um, if you know King David in the Bible, major moral failure about halfway through his life. He looks at Bathsheba, he has a bunch of wives, he takes Bathsheba, he has her husband killed when he finds out that she's pregnant, and um, he has to live with those consequences his whole life. But he basically goes, and he goes before the Lord in Psalm 51, he confesses, but Psalm 32 is really cool. It's after he's confessed, and he's talking about how blessed is it when my sins are forgiven. He goes on and on and on through Psalm 32, and then all of a sudden, this psalm shifts from David's voice to the Lord's voice. And this is what we're going to look at today. This is the Lord's voice. And this is what I believe the Lord is saying to David. I wish you would have done this. And this is verse 8. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curved with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So I believe this is salvation. The Lord says, I don't want you to have to be like a horse that I'm yanking and I'm pulling with a bit and a bridle. I want you to stay near. And I was looking at this again this week and just the past 18 months, I'm like, Lord, what were you doing? Why was it so dark? And I thought like I was walking with you. I thought I was doing things right. And I felt like the Lord just really clearly pointed out something in this passage. John, can you leave verse nine up just for a couple of minutes? Is it Oh, here it is. Um, that uh, it reminded me of we got a dog this year because we had five kids and I had a broken back and it made sense to get a dog, right? Like that makes sense. And uh, against the counsel of many loving friends, we got a dog. And it was like they said it would be. Um, and Betty was almost given away, but she has really, she's made strides. We both have, and we've arrived better and uh, good friends. And, um, but taking Betty on walks in the beginning and putting a leash on her, is miserable. Y'all know this experience firsthand with a puppy and you put a leash on it and they see a squirrel. It really is like this, the squirrel, and they like run. And it's like, they're up a tree and the dog's up the tree and your arm is out of its socket. And so Betty has been learning to be trained, right? With a leash. I noticed as we were walking this past week, and I kid you not, guess what Betty responds to now instead of the leash? My voice. She responds to my voice. I also have five kids, so I know my kids respond to my voice sometimes, too, when they act like they can hear. And they even know the tone, right? Like, Kate, if we're at a party and I say his name a certain way, he knows he's left the standard of how a Fregi should act in public, right? Or I can say it really kindly, and he knows, Kate, like, that really means a lot to me. I don't know why I'm pointing out Kate. Kate's not just the only one who gets in trouble, but um, he's our one son, so it feels easy. But I, I realized... In this passage, what does the Lord want to train us to do? To hear his voice and to stay near. Okay, so then it leads me down this road of things I'm learning, and I love when the Lord starts to do this, and he's connecting dots. So I started, I broke my back, which is the impetus for the 18 months of darkness, right after I had our fifth baby. I couldn't pick her up. I couldn't hold her. I couldn't be a mom. I couldn't be a wife. I was like in a hole. Lindsay Frazee was really a hero and helped me mother my children and walked me through. Really, like, I was, have you ever heard in Job, he says that a despairing man's words are like wind, which is good. Don't pay attention to them. If your friend is despairing and they're talking, just let them talk. Like, I just needed someone to let me despair, and I did. Um, So I was really low. Why am I sharing that? It was really low. Oh, the voice. Um, and I realized, I realized 
Um, I've developed chronic pain. In chronic pain, I've learned a lot about the brain. Fascinating how the brain works in chronic pain. One of the things that I've learned, though, to value so much is how there are these people called neurotheologians. So they study your brain and how it relates to God. So cool. I know it's early. If you want to check out right now, that's okay. But there's, there, we're going to read a quote because this is what began to happen. I was realizing my willpower in my low moments of life to choose God and choose the right thoughts and read my Bible and do all the things that I've been taught to do was very low. Have, you ever, have any of you ever reached this low place of like, I can't even will for myself good. I just feel so broken. And I was despairing until I began to read the man named Jim Wilder, and he was studying our brain's attachment to God. And he talks about how our willpower, our ability to choose to be led is not very good. And this is what he says about our willpower. And this, this is the gospel to me. He talks about our will. He says, our will is one of the easiest things to change and one of the first to disappear when we're tired, distracted, or have a few beers. The ability to choose is a very flimsy cortical function located on the outside of the brain where it's tossed about by every novel thing we see and every chemical that washes through. But relational identity begins in the brainstem and is cemented through attachments that are nearly impossible to break or change. Consider how hard it would be to really convince you that you are, that someone else is your mother. Our identity is still present, regardless of how tired or distracted we are. Yeah. What does this mean for what I'm talking about? My ability to choose God and to make right choices was broken this year because I was broken. But what kept me was the voice. Yes. It was being attached to God in love. And his voice woke my heart up this year. Yes. And I think some of you need to leave the train of, if I can just work my way back into it, if I can just make all these right choices and line up my life perfectly. No, like you need to be let off the hook to say, if I just hold on to him and hear his voice, if he can just speak one word to my heart, it'll wake me up. It will save me. And it will be a deeper attachment than you choosing right. This is why Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees all the time. Like, please stop making it about will and about rules and about these people living a right life. It's about my heart connecting with God over and over. This is John 15. It is the abiding in the vine. I abide because I've learned to love him. And Betty is a dog, but she loves me. She's at my feet all the time. It's like I have a shadow all day long. I'm bumping into her. She's padding after me. She loves me. So when we go on a walk now and she sees a squirrel, she really still wants to go after the squirrel. But she loves me enough to know mom doesn't want me to. She calls me mom, right? Mom doesn't want me to. She wants me to stay near. God wants us to stay near. If you're having trouble staying near, you need to ask to be lovesick. That should be so free. Right? right? Thank you, Sam. Um, and and I, I felt like the Lord this year, he began to speak out of Song of Solomon so much, but especially chapter 2. There's this verse in chapter 2. It's 2, verse 8. I don't even think it'll be up here yet, but it says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. And I think today, y'all need to know the voice of your beloved is coming. 
And there are things that he will say to you, and he will, he will take things that you've minimized in your heart to try to be an adult, and he will want to talk about them. Right. And you will think, I've spent years covering this, so I don't have to deal with it. And he'll say, but I want to talk to right. that part of you, yeah. <laughs> to that part of you that's actually holding you back from growing now. Yeah. And he will address things in your life that make you uncomfortable because he addresses them in love. He addresses them to bring healing and to bring wholeness. And you begin to love the sound of his voice. It's all I want. It's just if you'll speak, Lord, I can make it. If you'll say my name, I can make it. And in May of this year, um, the the first thing I want us to focus on is how his voice heals. So his voice heals. In May of this year, last year, a year ago, we went to Bethel um, to an executive leaders retreat, my husband and I. And we ended up, I slept for the first time since I'd broken my back. We ended up staying in Stephanie Gretzinger's house. Didn't know that. She's a worship leader. And they were like, yeah, there's probably a lot of angels in there. That's why you slept well. I'm like, yeah, that's probably why. But um, while we were there, I got to experience um, going to a sozo. So have any of you heard this word, sozo? It's kind of a form of inner healing prayer. Um, yes, that's in you have. Um, and uh, sozo is amazing. And they just help facilitate a conversation between you and God. So what I'm about to share, some of you might get weirded out. And just hold on. It's fine. The world's full of weird things. You can handle this, okay? So I'm like in this sozo, and she's having me ask the Lord some questions. And, she, and I typically, when I hear God or I'm speaking to him, I see pictures in my mind. Does anyone else do that? You see pictures. So I saw a picture of a sculpting tool. Now, I don't sculpt. I don't know anyone who does sculpt. But I knew it was like a sculptor's tool, the thing they hammer, you know, to like carve. And I'm like, okay, so I see this. And she's like, okay, ask God why you're seeing this. God, why am I seeing a sculptor school? And I, all of a sudden, I see my garage. Now, my garage here is where my earthly dad goes to build me things. I've asked him to build me so many things. And every time he comes up from Texas, he brings his truck with all of his tools. And he goes to the garage and he builds me, like, pergolas and a shoe rack. And, like, just whatever, whatever I want, you know? It's like a good dad. And um, so anyway... So immediately I'm like, oh, he has the sculptor's tool in my garage. It's my heavenly father, and he's building something. So I'm like, okay, great. Clues together. God, what are you building? God, what are you building? And uh, I see a blue ice sculpture. Now, how many of you have seen Frozen 2? <laughs> what are the blue ice sculptures? Anyone? They're memories. Okay? So... I know the Lord wants to rebuild my memories. How many of you know, well, you might not know this, if you study trauma in the brain, it's stored as memories, and you don't really grow past them. So our son gets cancer, I break my back. There's just a couple, you know, like life traumas. We all have them. And the Lord was saying, I want to rebuild your memory of those times. So we began in that session to have my memories rebuilt. And it was so healing. It was a piece of him healing. And I love that throughout the gospel, his voice heals. Yeah. So there's this example of Mark 10, blind Bartimaeus. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't lay his hands on him. He just says, what do you want from me? Mm-hmm. Bartimaeus says, I want to receive my sight. And he says, be healed. Yes. You've got it. So some of you, you're waiting for the touch. or the. And I want to say that it could be a voice time yes. where his voice comes and he heals. He rewrites things in your memory, in your past. And that's why it's important to listen, right? Did I weird you out? Are you guys still good? Great. Okay, we're good. Okay, number two. His voice kills religion. This is one of my favorite things that his voice does. You and I will hear God differently. Therefore, it's not going to be a method. 
I mean, yes, it's always going to line up with the word of God and it's going to be, if we share it with believers, they're going to get chills and you will know, yes, we've heard God together. But we are different people and what works for me and how I relate to him, you might not ever see a sculptor's tool and be referenced to a children's cartoon. That's fine. You know, like just be you with God. But his voice kills religion in us because it can't be a method. It's not a robotic sound. It is a person speaking. So recently, my son was taking this um, assessment test, and it was a digital test, you know, like standardized testings. I homeschool, so it's like, well, I hope he does well. And it's really like a judgment of me, so I'm like, hey, remember everything I taught you. And uh, so anyway, he's taking this standardized test, he's on a computer, but I had to set it up for him in my bedroom, right? And I'm like in the back, and the lady's like, "Um, Kate, your mom can't be with you, so I'm like, crap. So I like leave the room, like please do well, son. So he takes this test and he walks out and he had a proxy, right? A proctor give him the test by proxy, right? So how you say it? So he comes out and first thing he says to Chad and I is like, why do I have to call her Mrs. Angela Huddle? I'm not calling her that. And Kate, Chad and I are like, did you say that to her? And he's like, yeah, no, no. And we're like, buddy, we're like trying to get to the bottom of it. We don't really understand. A couple weeks later, we get the results. We're talking to the lady. She's like, hey. We were kind of confused about Cade, like, if he was okay, and, like, he, we, we realized, we think he thought Angela Huddle was an Alexa. And we're like, what? And then I realized I had gotten him an Alexa for Christmas, right? So you talk to Alexa. So, like, I don't know if you have kids, but they love, they're like, play the Tooth Fairy song. You know, like, they, like, command her, and she talks back, and you can say, Alexa, off. And so he's taking a test, assuming the real live woman on the other side is a robot. And he's telling her, Angela, huddle off. And she's like, she's like uh, you need to call me Mrs. Angela Huddle. And he's like, no, I don't. Angela Huddle off. Like, so confused. And y'all are laughing, but we treat God like this. We're like, God, off. Not the generalized commands, right? And his is alive. And if we don't know that, we will not respond to him rightly. Do you see the connection I'm making here? God is not a robot. He does not want to be treated like a robot. He does not want you to enter an equation. He wants you to walk in the room. I love, I don't know if you guys, I went back this week and listened to the August sermon when Laurel said that she would get up in the morning to spend time with God and she would come around the corner and say, hi God. In like her Laurel way, which is so adorable. And I'm like, I could never do that. But Laurel could. But that was her way of saying, you're a person. You're a being. You're the most powerful being, the most person-y person that ever was. And I don't want to talk to you like you're a robot. I want to hear your voice like you're a person. So the next thing that I think that his voice does is his voice resurrects what's dead and lifeless in us. And I love this story in John 11 of Lazarus. Um, And I think through life, sometimes things die. Dreams on your heart die. Um, When you lose confidence in yourself, when you, uh, friends and I were talking about, when you violate your own trust with yourself, certain parts of you feel dead, right? But I think his voice never forgets who you are. He never forgets your name. And he wants to raise things up in you that feel dead and lifeless. This past year when I was in really low moments, he would speak to me like I was still alive. It sounds so dramatic, but I really did feel this way. And he would speak to me and I could live again. And in John 11, 
I just wanted you to listen to how cool it even says voice. Jesus, when he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And I just think there could be some of you today that there are dreams that have died or things that have died. And the Lord, with a word, can bring those things back to life. And you think, God, God, you don't want to go there. That's so long gone. And he's like, are you kidding me? I say one word. The Jews were like, Lazarus has been dead four days. And he's like, I don't care. He could have been dead like 100 years. Like when Jesus died, there's like bodies of saints from old that go throughout Jerusalem. Like nothing's too hard. So I would just give him, what parts of you do you feel like have died? And just see what he can do with them. Also, his voice um, reminds us of hope. So there are a lot of times where, um, do you guys do this, especially late at night, everything just looks dark. This is a lot of dark. You know, you just get sad and then everything's sad and like nothing's working out. And you, then you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But last night I was not fine. <laughs> nothing's changed except sleep. But there are some times that we just need hope. And in John 20, I love his voice again brings hope. Mary has come to the tomb to find Jesus and she can't find him and she's crying And she sees who she thinks is the gardener. And in verse 15, Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. That's all he said. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary says, I've seen the Lord. And he said these things. All he said was her name. I think there are times where uh, with my kids, with my husband, all they have to say is our name a certain way. You know, and it can bring hope. I know when Chad's excited by based on cares, or they don't usually call me cares, but whatever, whatever he says, however he says it. And Jesus, with a word, can say your name and put hope back in your heart. Yeah. I think what I loved this morning in worship, Emily, did you make that set? Where are you? Yes. I loved when you went from to majesty, from awesome God, and it yeah. says, your grace has found me just where I am, empty-handed but alive in your hands. I think for a while I didn't think I was empty-handed, to be honest. And then you realize I'm like, maybe don't even have hands. I don't even know. Like, I don't know if I can carry anything. And But this is the gospel, that he comes and he brings hope. He brings life. He gives you back what's dead. And it's all on him. He does what you can't do for yourself. I couldn't get myself out of the dark night of the soul. Only God could do that. Um, I think another thing that his voice does is it brings life-giving correction. So one of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Mary and Martha. This is very familiar, John chapter 10. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I think when Jesus said this, that's really embarrassing. Martha and Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. 
I wonder if she thought, how does he know? Like, I, he's in my house, and he's about to tell me that I'm anxious and bothered about many things, and I have to feed all these people, but I think he's referencing a pattern in her life of being anxious and bothered. And sometimes, if you have not heard the Lord's correction recently, I would tell you, you probably need to stay longer and listen longer, just because it comes almost every time. But it doesn't ever come in a way of like, I can't believe you. In fact, the neurotheologian that I've been reading, Jim Wilder, he talks about healthy shame messages that we are actually equipped and made, and our kids are too, to hear healthy shame. Healthy shame says you've left the standard of who I want you to be, who we're made to be, and you've gone into this, so come back. Mm -hmm. Healthy shame doesn't put them outside and say toxic, you're bad. It just says like, hey, that's not you being your best. And this is what the Lord does. If you go into a time with him, in fact, in, uh, in May, that same trip to Bethel, I went to their prayer room. They have a little like prayer chapel. And everyone's like, you know, you're going to feel the presence of God. It's going to be amazing. And I went in, I sat down. I was like pretty high on self-pity probably. And all of a sudden, like the presence of God came. And it was like an Isaiah moment where you're like, woe to me. I am undone. Like I have been choosing myself. I have been pitying myself. I've been living like a victim. And it wasn't anything mean. It was the love Mm -hmm. that was bringing it to the surface. Mm -hmm. Being so loved, even in the middle of your mess. I can't even explain it. But if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. Where you feel unworthy of his affection. Mm -hmm. And if you feel worthy, you probably should stay longer. Because you're not. We're not. None of us are worthy of the kindness that he shows us. And his correction is always life-giving. It's never toxic shame. It's always healthy. It's always to bring more life. I love how often in Proverbs, Proverbs basically 1 through 9, talks about Lady Wisdom and that she is like Jesus. She's like one of the Trinity speaking. And um, in Proverbs 1, she says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. And I will make my words known to you. There is a turning that I see my kids do this all the time. I call their name and they choose to obey or they choose to disobey. They choose to to come back to the standard or they choose not to and they get the consequences of it. And this is what his voice does. His voice gives you the option of this is a reproof. This is going to be life-giving for you to save you from yourself. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, another thing that his voice does, his voice brings peace and clarity. Now, I was thinking about Revelation 1, because I was going through, like, where where is he speaking throughout the whole Bible? Revelation 1, John has this revelation of Jesus. We looked at this last year. Um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 15 starts. It says, his head and his hair, he's talking about Jesus, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. I want to pause right there because I was thinking, why are you, why is your voice like the sound of many waters? And I was thinking about how often water is a sound machine, you know, like where you walk into a spa and there's the sound of what? Like water running. You're like, oh, this is so peaceful. And being the brain scientist that I am now, self-elected, I'm like, I bet there's a brain connection here. And there is a brain connection here. In fact, there is an associate professor of behavioral health at Pennsylvania State University, and he did a study on the effects of the sounds of water in the human brain. And he said, these slow whooshing noises are the sounds of non-threats, which is why they work to calm people. It's like they're saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. 
So his voice is like the sound of many waters. And his voice is saying to you, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. His voice brings you peace and clarity. Water sounds can guide the neuronal waves in our brain, allowing for a calming effect. The sound of running water can provide multiple benefits, including anxiety relief, stress relief, increased concentration, better sleep quality, increased feelings of relaxation. That's what his voice does. So if you're hearing his voice and you're feeling calm, you're in a good place. You really are hearing him. And I love to, to picture Chad and I've been doing these, I've been making him do these weird experiments with me where we do these like exercises of like, let's picture ourselves. We'll read a Psalm talking about the river of delight, like sitting in the river. What does it sound like? What do you feel like? What is your body doing? And he's like, you know, doing it with me, but it really is profound. So I would encourage you to imagine what is the sound of the many waters do to your heart? What is the sound of him calling your name do to your heart and write it down and begin to to feel the peace. I remember when um, our son was first diagnosed, we were at first told, like, probably the cancer he has is this thing that takes six weeks, he'll be fine. We do the testing on the tumor they took out, and they come back, and they're like, actually, it's this 5% of this Wilms tumor. Um, 5% of the cases are what your son has, and it's actually the most rare kind, and it's also the most lethal kind, and it's a 50-50 chance. We could do all the chemo, and he could die, or we could do the chemo, and hopefully it'll work. So I came home, and it was Christmas, and we're hanging up every stocking. I'm like, will I hang up his stocking next year? Like, will I do this again this year? And all of the dread, all of the darkness, and I was just walking around like that. And I remember standing behind my dad, and I felt the voice of the Lord suddenly speak so clearly in my mind. Um, And he said, stop making provision for his death. And immediately, the heaviness lifted. Now, that doesn't always happen, but it was one of the few times, it's happened a couple times since, where he'll speak and something breaks. Like, it was gone. His voice broke the heaviness. Nothing changed. They didn't call back and say, just kidding. It's the 95% of good. It was just God had spoken, and my faith was there, and whatever. I don't know what happened, but it fixed it. And I, I would say, stay for his voice until you feel that peace until you feel the heaviness break. And sometimes it doesn't happen right away. I think we try to make things happen so fast. And the Lord's like, I have eternity. You know, like you could freak out for a little bit, but he will eventually speak. That's why he wants us to have endurance. This is a call for the endurance of the saints because he's going to eventually bring justice on the earth. He is eventually going to bring the peace he's talked about, but we have to hoopomone until we get there, abide under. Okay. I love this too. The, the story of Zacchaeus, right? He's a wee little man. He climbs a tree. He sees Jesus. Jesus sees him. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I'm going to go to your house today. And so Zacchaeus brings him into his house. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, Zacchaeus is so annoying. He's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, without, we don't even know what, what's happened so far. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus is just like, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. The point is, God's voice gives us back our identity and our dignity. So Jesus knew Zacchaeus is a generous man. When I love him, he can afford to be generous. Sometimes the Lord speaks to you and reminds you of who you really are. 
the world tells you who you are every day, and you might really be that person, but the Lord knows you. He searched you and known you yes. better than you know yourself. Yes. As I studied the brain, again, your subconscious brain knows so much about you that you don't know. You don't even know your thinking thoughts, that you're thinking. I mean, you can't even get them here fast enough to recognize what's happening. The Lord sees all of it. He sees the things that make you you, that made you you since you were two or younger than that. There are crazy stories about things that happen to like a six-month-old and the rest of their life. They deal with a certain fear that was attached to something that happened way back then. It's not weird. It's science, and it's your brain. <laughs> and it's the Lord knowing your life. So he can give you back your identity. He can heal you in ways you don't even know that you need to be healed. Are you all following me? Yeah. Okay. Dallas Willard says, this is an important thought. How you think about who you are enables you to deal with life in a way that is emotionally and spiritually mature. So if the Lord has not healed who you think you are, you will not be able to relate correctly to other people or to him. That's why we want him to come and give us back our identity and our dignity. And his voice restores us. Like when Simon Peter denies Jesus and then Jesus is on the shore and he calls Simon to him, right? And he says, Simon, do you love me? Three times for the three times that Simon denied him. And I think this is what the Lord does for us, is for each time that our heart has wandered, he gives us the next restoration. Do you love me? Will you follow me? What can I restore you? Can I bring you back to a place of wholeness? And he gives us liquid courage. And then what his voice did for me this year was call me beloved. I think he wants to do that for all of you, whether you're a man or a woman. He wants to call you beloved. In Song of Solomon 2, she is speaking. She says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. He's not passive. He's active on your behalf. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. And behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. I want to just stop there, because I think some of you need to know that he's speaking his love over you. And he's calling you his beloved, not his beloved because you know this person who's actually close to God and you're not. He's calling you beloved because he loves you. As if you were the only person and his intention is for you. In Revelation 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And I was reading the commentary on this because I love it. I'd never realized if anyone hears my voice, so he's knocking and speaking. Like, what is he saying when he knocks and speaks on your heart? The Aramaic can be translated, I have been standing at the door knocking. Jesus knocking on the door points us to the process of an ancient Jewish wedding invitation. In the days of Jesus, a bridegroom and his father would come to the door of the bride-to-be carrying the betrothal cup of wine and the bride price. He is the bride price. Standing outside, they would knock. Sorry. If she fully opened the door, she was saying, yes, I will be your bride. And that is what his voice does. He's saying to you, will you enter into union and fellowship with me? 
Will you hear my voice today and respond? That's why Jesus, all through Revelation, he says, to him who hears. He wants you to hear what his spirit is saying. I love that a lot of the things we read today were actually out of the book of John. And John is called the beloved disciple, right? He, some, I was re- listening to something this week. They think he could have even been as young as 12, which is crazy. But at the end of his life, he writes 1 John. And in 1 John, he starts out by saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, like John heard Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest in the person of Jesus, and we've seen it, and we testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship, our fellowship, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. I was looking up that word, fellowship. The idea of fellowship is one of the most important ideas in this letter of John's. It is the ancient Greek word koinonia, which speaks of a sharing, a communion, a common bond, and a common life. Uh, It goes on to say, this is one of the greatest statements of the New Testament, and it may safely be said that its greatness is created by the richness of the word fellowship. Those who have fellowship with one another are those who share the same resources and are bound by the same responsibilities. The idea becomes almost overwhelming when it's thus applied to the relationship which believing souls have with the Father and His Son. The Father, His Son, Jesus, and all believers have all things in common. All the resources of each in the wondrous relationship are at the disposal of the others, as if we have anything to bring to that equation. (laughs) Such is the grace of our God. It's derived from the word koinos, which very literally means common in the sense of being shared by all. And it means a partnership, literally a participation a social intercourse to communicate communion or distribution. He wants to hear you like he wants you to hear him. I've never saw this verse at the very end of Song of Solomon. Chapter 8, verse 13. This is the bridegroom, so Jesus speaking. And he's saying to the woman, the bride, to us, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. So he wants you to hear him, and he wants to hear you back. Mm -hmm. And this is a really intimate exchange of us with him talking. And it is what is going to change and keep you alive and maintain your heart through seasons of deadness. And so I just want to give that general invitation today. I'm going to have you all stand up, and the band will come up. And I want us to just ask the Lord to open our ears. Like I see him like taking... uh, like little plugs out and saying, I want you to hear. And I think some of you have an insecurity that maybe you've never heard God. You don't really know that you think you're equipped to hear him. And oftentimes it's what you're already hearing. You don't realize that best voice you hear sometimes, the thing that believes in you and loves you so much is actually him. And so if that's you, we're going to have our prayer team up front. And I would love for them to pray for you, to ask for you to have more confidence. And then for those of you who are hearing him, maybe he's spoken something even today that you need to respond to. Maybe he's reminded you of a dream you had a long time ago that you let die. Maybe he's reminded you of of a person that you need to reach out to. Whatever it is, there might be a response to you. And then I know that there's also a group that maybe you don't know that you have ever entered into this relationship with God. That you're like, oh, he's standing at the door of my heart knocking and I've never opened it to him. 
And if that's you as well, the prayer team would love to pray for you to enter into that place. And if y'all are okay, let's just close our eyes. We're going to sing a song that I sent Emily because in the response, in the song it says, I was made by you and I was made for you. It says, I am unfulfilled without full communion. And that is the truth, Lord. We go our whole lives searching for something. And all this time, it's been you. We need your voice. Would you teach us to be a people who hang on every word you say? For those in the room whose devotional time has felt religious or duty-bound or dry, I just ask, in agreement with you, you pour out your spirit on dry ground. And if you're dry, it's a great place to be in because it can come. And then for those who have insecurity about their ability to hear your voice, I thank you that they're They've been wired to hear you. Your sheep hear your voice, like John 10 says. So I just ask for an opening again of ears. And Lord, I ask for those who have been in a similar place as me, uh, as I was this past year, just in lowness and darkness. They just need your voice to make their way out of the tunnel. I ask for you to say their name. And when you say it, just like in the beginning, you spoke a word and there was light. I pray that you'd speak a word to their heart and you'd bring light. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, the voice of our beloved. Behold, you